Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Sandra Rowinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello, folks, and welcome to your midweek tennis podcast, a podcast that was very nearly recorded on Wednesday evening following Roger Federer's first match back after a 14-month hiatus, a three-set win over Brit Dan Evans. How different might that podcast have sounded had it been recorded yesterday versus being recorded now? after his three-set loss to Nicolas Basilashvili. That is the punchy question that I put to you, David Law and Matt Roberts, whoever wants to Mm. take it first. Well, I think I should own up and say that it's because of Matt Roberts that we're recording it now and not if I'd have had my way, which was last night, because I was a bit overexcited to just get chatting. Would we have been so overexcited that it would now be out of date? How how differently, I think what I'm getting at is how differently do we feel about where Roger Federer is at and what he's capable of after two matches than we did after one? I'm in a similar place, but Matt watched both matches more closely. So I'm going to defer to Matt. Oh, hospital pass, Matt. Enjoy. <laughs> I think yesterday we would have been extremely positive about Federer. And I think today we probably should still be positive about Federer because Federer is being positive about Federer. And I think we should take him at his word and agree that this has been a good week for him. He gained the matches that he wanted. He felt pretty good on the court. Our eyes maybe didn't always align with that viewpoint today. Um, there There was a moment in his match today where his movement did really stop almost altogether and it was quite difficult to watch at times but I think that's a difficult thing to do to have tempered expectations of Roger Federer but it's absolutely what we need to have and he's upbeat he said he's already over it he flew into his press conference after the loss today said he's over it is positive generally and therefore I think we probably should be as well but we certainly have a lot more data to go on now that we've seen him play this match as opposed to just that one match against Evans because they were two totally different matches for him. Mm. And we'll talk about both of them. He he was asked uh, today, as he said, Matt, in that very immediate 
post-loss press conference. You know, how how long will this take to get over this loss compared to previous losses at similar level tournaments at similar stages that, oh, I'm already over it. Sounding like, you know, when you've been broken up with and you're like, I'm completely fine. I'm so completely fine. He was he wasn't right for me anyway. I never wanted to win this tournament. It wasn't, it wasn't, well, I wanted to go to Dubai. It's going to be better in Dubai. But, and yet, it also, as you say, Matt, we should believe him, shouldn't we? You know, why? I, I do believe him. I, you know, he, we should probably feel fine about it because, because he feels fine about it. David? Mm. Yeah, I I would say that occasionally in press conference he's said everything's fine and mm. then it isn't fine, like a back problem or something like that. Um, but I thought when he came out yesterday and played his match against Dan Evans that he started off playing very carefully, moving very carefully. He wasn't explosive. He did, he was he was balanced. He was good. He looked serene the way he often does and he was striking the ball very well but I I just felt like he was inevitably being very careful and uh, that changed as the match went on and and Evans pushed him and and they played they played a good close competitive match Uh, but and at the end Federer was showing some real explosive tennis and some and he was going for it um, and and he finished it with a winner so I thought that that was a really really good but there was a euphoria about him yesterday which was all the build-up all the hype all the chat he was excited because he is he's like a little kid in a sweet shop isn't he when he's playing tennis and when there's all the eyes on him he loves it he loves it he always has um but today i i mean i didn't see all of the match because i was watching arena sabalenka against garbinia magarutha and I, I left federal watch to you both um but I, then when that finished, I turned over and I, I was less alarmed than I thought I would be given what I was reading on Twitter and what what I was just hearing generally because I think he was 5-1 down, wasn't he, in the second set? Maybe did he even lose that set 6-1 or 6-2? I can't he remember. He did, yeah. And it was definitely, um, you know, the latter stages of that second set were definitely sort of hit and hope kind yeah, of moments. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, uh, around about that time, I did actually have a little chat um, with Dan Evans on, um, oh, on WhatsApp because he was watching the match. He was watching the match back, and he said, "Look, of course he's, of course he's knackered, you know." And we played quite a hard match the night before, and he's, he's, ha- and he actually referenced the kind of all the, the chat before the match and before the tournament. It tires you out, and you hit you hit a bit of a wall, and, and it's not really surprising. The bloke's. 39 he's going to be 40 later this year he hasn't played for 13 months and now he's played six sets in 24 hours um you know but this is the paradox of of Roger Federer isn't it and to a slightly less well to a lot less extent Rafael Nadal and and Novak Djokovic but Federer is you know significant you know a few years in your 30s is is a big deal because because on one hand you're sort of well, of course the rules of logic and physiology apply to Roger Federer. Of course they do. He's not actually superhuman. But on the other hand, you're like, okay, but if he was actually a regular human being like the rest of us, then he wouldn't be beating Dan Evans at age 39, 7-5 seven, seven, no. in the third in his first match back after 14 months. 
you know yeah no look you're 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 quite right and and i also said i think a week ago that he could very easily win this tournament and i think that that was also a possibility um so i mean i think the, the biggest thing is was he injured out there did he look like he was feeling that knee at all i can't say i saw that really when i turned on because in the third set he looked quite explosive again he looked he said he said after his match against 70 he said i was tired <laughs> i was really fighting the fatigue and uh and i thought again tonight it's he just looks knackered he and and those legs those those limbs are going to creak for a bit i mean he banged on in that press conference about grass is the is the the folk the focus um and if that's the case he's got three months to try to build up the match endurance and toughness that he needs um and i'd have thought that that's a a fairly reasonable schedule the only potential difficulty might be that it's clay for the most part in order to do that but maybe that's going to be easier on the body yeah i didn't see any signs of knee pain or injury really with federer um i read that he said in swiss press that he was pushing for a Tuesday start this week so that if he won his first match, he would get a day off. But he couldn't get a Tuesday start because Jeremy Shardy, who was a potential first match opponent for him, had a late arrival from Rotterdam where he was in the doubles quite late. So I think Federer was certainly thinking if he, if matches go long, he's going to struggle a bit with fatigue this week and not having enough in the tank. He played a long match against Evans. It was another quite long match today. And it just seemed to me like he was fatigued. Um, there were a lot of glimpses in both matches that his tennis is still excellent. I mean, really against Evans, when he needed it, he raised his game. He, he fended off break points with winners. He finished the match, as you said, David, with that backhand down the line. There were there were lots of glimpses of the real Federer. Um, but... Then the match against Basilashvili was just totally different. He was really comfortable against Evans. He'd practiced with him for two weeks. He knew what he was going to get. I think Basilashvili surprised him a little bit, perhaps, with the level he played today compared to how he's been playing in the last few months. And he has an ability to rush Federer because he hits the ball so hard. And we talk about the way Federer can diffuse power, which he can do brilliantly, but you need spring in your legs and you need full match fitness to be able to do that and they didn't he didn't have that he didn't look sharp um and i think that made him look a bit slow perhaps at times but overall he got what he wanted and i agree with you it's going to be very interesting to see how he navigates these next few months before the grass he he's a master scheduler he knows how to schedule and to peak at the right time but this does feel like the biggest test of that he's probably ever had because of the fact that so many of the next tournaments are on clay um getting that balance right of rehab and fitness he needs to build up while also playing some matches um but i kind of have every reason to believe that he will get that right we probably just need to not expect him to be 100 percent before wimbledon because that's the that's the time stamp he's put on it he said he might surprise himself but we should probably have these lower expectations of him until then. I felt like the serve 
was a big difference today against Basilashvili relative to the weapon it was against Dan Evans yesterday. He was he was quite considerably down on his on his average serve speeds, and he did say in his post match press conference that if any part of his body was hurting the most, it was definitely the the shoulder. Not in terms of an injury, just in in terms of it feeling stiff from wear and tear it hadn't experienced for the previous previous 40 months. He actually said um, in his, uh, in his, in the, the Swiss, the, the French language portion of his press conference, j'avais peur de me lever, which means I was, I was afraid of getting up in the morning, the day after the day after the first match. So as Matt's pointed out, he, with the fact that he requested the Tuesday start, he was expecting to be hit hard by recovery, um, which will maybe make these comments that we're going to hear now um, quite interesting. Um, this is a portion of his post-match press conference following on from that three-set win over over Dan Evans. A disappointing loss for for Dan Evans, I'm sure. David will be able to tell us because he's you know, you know, he's probably sort of on the phone to him on the sly now. <laughs> Sort of always in touch, um, but a, a, a win after which Federer was positively giddy, and he had lots of interest to say in the press conference afterwards. Um, this is a particularly interesting and insightful portion during which we start off with him being asked about his post-match recovery routine. Can you talk about what your recovery routine is, you know, for the next 24 hours? Is it a lot of ice, a lot of Advil? What, what happens now uh, in order to get yourself ready to play the next match? Um, you're talking to an old school guy, you know, so I don't, I've done one ice bath and I didn't like it. So I'm not going to do that again. Um, I don't just take painkillers for fun. I only take them when I really have to. Don't feel like that's the case tonight. Um, I haven't taken painkillers probably in whatever, nine months, I guess, ever since the surgery was over. So from that standpoint, you know, I'm really healthy. And uh, so I just had to grab some food. Um, I'm going to stretch uh, uh, or I'm going to take a shower first because we're not allowed to shower on site. And then uh, I'm going to stretch and uh, take a massage and uh, sleep in and then warm up properly tomorrow. Very simple. Uh, Roger, you obviously didn't have much trouble on the court today in terms of the way you played, but it was a nice moment at the, the beginning where you forgot or you were asking about the time between points and the towels. It, did it feel like you've been away as long as you have? Hey, Simon. Yeah, yes. I mean, it happened a ton of times, actually, not just <laughs> once. Uh, I forgot to take the towel. I forgot to bring the towel. Then I've, the time, the shot clock, you know, is still not something that it's... Uh, embedded in my system i've played too long without the shot clock um and then i also forgot that the warm-up i guess was four minutes um because i was hitting with dan and then next thing you know i know after 30 seconds he was already at the net volleying i was like why is he hurrying up so much you know and then i looked on the shot clock and it was already you know three minutes 10 seconds only left and i haven't barely done anything yet so there was a lot of times during the match uh, i had to look at the scoreboard again because um just to make sure, is it change of ends time or not? Because there's a lot going through my mind at the moment about what's my next shot, how am I feeling, um, tactic, uh, what's Dan doing? And I think it's almost too much for the brain to take. So I, I tend to forget a lot of things, like you said, with the towel or 
uh, and then, oh yeah, or, or I would ask for the towel, and obviously I realized they couldn't even bring it to me, and uh, because the rules are different nowadays. So yes, it feels like I've been away for even longer than actually I have been. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Matt Futterman and uh, Simon Cambers there with the questions to Roger Federer in his uh, post-match press conference at the Qatar Exxon Mobile Open, who have provided us uh, with that audio. Lots to digest there. Um, who hasn't taken a painkiller in nine months? Has he not had a headache in nine months? Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> that, that, so, some of these players don't take at them at all i remember james just blake saying that he just never had them what would you that that is somebody that's never had period pains <laughs> slipping male privilege that is <laughs> whereas i was watching a video with rafael nadal yesterday his gq essential items one of the items he can't live without a packet of painkillers yeah quite right as yeah. any 34 and a half year old will tell you <laughs> <laughs> or you know frankly anyone sort of over the i mean even even infants are on the cow pole aren't they come on um other thing to digest um is that maybe he should con- consider taking some ice baths what do we think i mean i love that well, he that said funny, you know i it? had one i didn't like it mate <laughs> no one likes an ice bath they're not taking them for fun <laughs> i mean actually that i was was I bet there were some players out there watching him kind of slow motion walk his way around the five one deficit in the second set tonight, thinking, "Good, glad, glad you you didn't just bounce out of bed the way you sort of said you would in that press conference, where with your early night and you're lying in and and uh, and having having a bit of food and a massage, but." Ice bath. Only ever had one of those in my life. Don't. I'm old school. You know, great, great lines. But <laughs> the, there is a reason that these players do have all that is to is to get rid of the stiffness, isn't it? And to get rid of the, the muscle soreness of all of that exertion. Um, now, Roger Federer can look at it and say, "Well, I've just looked this up. He's played 1,513 professional matches before yesterday in his career, and he's." Only have had one ice bath, so why After does he need which one? which match was the ice bath? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> Maybe after the uh, the Wimbledon final of 2019. Because um, well, no, you have an ice bath for recovery, don't you? You went on yeah, a you camper van trip around, uh, around Switzerland after that. No need for an ice bath you, there. You, you drink until you forget after that sort of <laughs> scoreline. Um, but no, I mean, I think... Um, I mean, look, maybe maybe we'll have to actually start doing one or two of the things that players do these days in order to make his body feel better. The more likely scenario is that it's just a lot very very quickly in a short space of time when he hasn't done it for ages, uh, and he'll be absolutely fine once he's got a little bit of uh, repetition into into the joints and the muscles of of what match play feels like again. Um, but it was interesting. Uh, I think it, that kind of giddy feel that you described, we saw that on court in the match against Evans. He was he was laughing at his own ineptitude when he messed up a couple of forehand drive volleys and stuff like that. He wasn't taking it so seriously that he was worried about it. He was he was really clearly high on the fact that he was playing tennis again. Um, and then I think 
the follow-up today was, yeah, it was probably a bit too quick a turnaround. And he was playing against a guy who was playing solid tennis, hitting the ball hard, and he's a physical machine out there. And and that was about as much as he could do today, really. Mm, and Basilash Vili, really a player that gives you no rhythm at all. And well, well, I suppose Dan Evans, you wouldn't say is that kind of player either. Federer had been hitting for a long time consistently with Dan Evans. So he was in tune with Dan Evans' rhythm, which I think was a massive advantage for him yesterday. And he did own That was interesting. Yeah, that was interesting in itself. The talking point between them both about having played what they said were 20 sets between them in practice before this match over the last few weeks. And, And Evans actually said he found playing Federer easier this time because he just got used to his ball he got used to what to expect whereas when he'd played the other matches when he'd lost nine sets out of nine he said the ball is you know it's just coming on you a lot quicker than you You, it takes you by surprise he shocks you with how hard he's hit it how early he's hitting it how he's just standing on the baseline not giving and, and I've got used to that but obviously the reverse is true as well. There were no surprises for Federer in what Evans was providing anymore because they've just they've just got used to it. Two things that I I took from it. One is Evans himself said that he he could tell that Federer wasn't where he normally is in this match compared to the other matches. He could tell that he was short, and it's not surprising. And the other thing was that it was quite refreshing to hear a player sound pissed off that he didn't win. <laughs> You know, Dan Evans was not happy to be just part of that mm. match at all. He was grumpy that he hadn't won, and he and I actually think that's one of the reasons that Federer likes practicing with him, because Dan Evans doesn't just roll out the red carpet and fluff his feathers. He takes the mick out of him, gives him some chat, and Federer actually likes all that. He doesn't, you know. He, I think he probably tires of people just. Kissing his backside all the time. He says sometimes when they're practicing together, they forget to get up from the chair to go and hit because they're lost in conversation. Please, David, get to the bottom of what that conversation entails. Do you think they talk about villa? Life in Solihull? Actually, probably they do talk about villa Mm. because uh, Federer is fascinated with uh, with football. Mm. Um, I remember him saying to me... They're just talking about Jack Grealish for hours on end. uh, there was a, a Swiss fullback during the 2004 European Championships called actual name Bernd Haas, and <laughs> and he, he he was also a fullback for West Bromwich Albion at the time, and he got sent off. He got a red card in this this Euro 2004 match. And uh, Switzerland proceeded to lose four one, I think, and and Federer fumed in my direction, that West Brom don't teach discipline. (laughs) Um, He's just plucked a Roger Federer anecdote out of his pocket there. Well, what what can I say? (laughs) What other topics can I bring up that you'll have a Roger Federer anecdote for? (laughs) I haven't got any more. That's it. Right. Okay. So how do you follow a completely spontaneous Roger Federer burnt arse anecdote? Well... The answer to that is with uh, an insert into the podcast recorded some hours later uh, following the news, only moments before Matt was just about to hit upload, that Roger Federer has pulled out of Dubai, a tournament that he hadn't 100% committed to play. 
but had certainly signalled his intention to play. And after the match today that we've just discussed at length, I hope you've enjoyed those largely redundant comments. <laughs> um, he he said he indicated that he would probably play Dubai, but he would have to discuss with his team. And in some now edited out commentary from us, we all said we expect him to play Dubai. Um, in the unlikely event that he doesn't, we might be a bit more worried uh, than we previous were, previously were. So to pick up, uh, to try and create some kind of feeling of continuity, uh, to, to pick up on how I opened this pod, how, how different a pod would it be if we'd recorded it yesterday? How different a pod would it be if we'd recorded the whole thing in light of the news that he had pulled out of Dubai. Where are our moods about Federer now? Yeah, I, I think that's. I'm surprised. Uh, I have to say, if if all had gone completely well, um, I would have assumed that he would play Dubai. It's a place that he spends so much of his time. It's kind of a second home to him, isn't it? And I think it would have made sense to have tried to get another two or three matches, maybe try and get one more at the very least if he could than he did this week as as he tries to build his way back, given that we know he's not going to play Miami and therefore the next thing he would most likely play is Clay. Um, so I can't be sure, but I would have thought that this was part of the plan to play, really, bef- before Doha. Um, but then he did get six sets in, in Doha. And so... I don't know. Maybe he just feels he needs to strengthen it and take stock of what he's done competitively and go back now and strengthen some more or or something like that. That's looking at it through a positive lens. He's been strengthening for 14 months. What do you think, Matt? Well, I said on the original pod that my immediate reaction if Federer pulled out of Dubai would, would be to be alarmed. What my actual immediate reaction was, was, oh, for goodness sake, now I've got to record an insert into the podcast. Why couldn't you have announced that slightly earlier? <laughs> Matt had to read. Matt is now on a slightly wobbly. Um, I don't know. I don't know what your camera is perched on, Matt, but you're you're I'm getting a, a feeling of seasickness. <laughs> he's got a he's got a backdrop we've never it's, seen it's before. It's called a laptop for a reason. It's sitting on his lap. Yes, right. I'm I'm reclined on the sofa with the laptop on a cushion. Sure. Um, however, yes, I, I stand by that my overall view of Federer's week in Doha is slightly less positive now that he has pulled out of Dubai. I, Based on everything he said, I think it would have made sense for him to play Dubai if he felt able to because he he stressed how much he felt he needed matches now and he talked about the fact that as David said there's only really clay now between well between now and the start of the grass court season so that was his last chance pretty much to play matches on hard court so it does suggest to me that he's perhaps not feeling quite physically as good as he was expecting to but then at the same time Perhaps he felt he gathered enough information from Doha and perhaps he doesn't like that feeling of knowing that he's not ready to 
win a tournament, when he enters a tournament. He said he could have played the Australian Open, but he had no chance of winning it, so there was no point going there. And perhaps he needed an experience of playing to find out where he was, and that was it. He only needed that one go at it. And then what's more important is training and rehabilitation, which he said he's going to focus on for the next few weeks. That's quite a compelling argument, and that was interesting what he said about the Australian Open. But isn't that hasn't he contradicted that himself by telling us categorically in press today that what he needs is matches? That pretty much the only thing he feels he needs now is is matches, and he needs a lot of them, and he needs them badly. I think I'm probably the the most alarmed of the, the, the three only thing of us. is he, he doesn't necessarily need them now if the goal is to be peaking in july mm. Mm. so yeah. perhaps this is the odd stick and I, I still am surprised he's not playing dubai yeah but i just wonder whether he's got his yardstick now by having played these couple of matches so now he knows what he needs to do in order to to be ready for then he's played two matches you know he's had so that's one recovery to play again. I just, how can that possibly be enough? To, like, why wouldn't you gather a bit more data? As you say, he lives there. He's, what, a half an hour flight away? I, I'm surprised. I, I'm, I'm certainly surprised. I just don't, I, yeah. I, I'm probably the most alarmed of the three of us. But anyway, there you go. We thought you'd, we'd bring you our updated statuses of alarm don't expect this every podcast a little update in the end just to let you know how how alarmed we are at the moment of posting about various things but there there we go um we like to be up to date um so that is how we feel about roger federer pulling out of dubai um and in a moment we'll be back with our previous podcast uh, most of which is still uh, in date enjoy There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. 
Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Dave's just smiling at himself. What are you so pleased with yourself about? <laughs> Have you had a text from Roger Federer live on the podcast? <laughs> uh, no. No, I was just... Uh... Just running through that Swiss fullback's name in my head again. <laughs> <laughs> you child, David. Right. Yeah. Trying to anchor You've got to pronounce a it serious correctly. podcast here. Sorry. Do we have anything else to say about what we know about the comeback of Roger Federer? Any other observations or completely hopeless predictions into the future? David, do you still think he'll reach the Wimbledon final? If he doesn't play Novak Djokovic before it, yeah. Okay. De- Matt, would you care to make any outlandish Wimbledon or Olympics-based predictions on the basis of these two matches that we've seen? <laughs> I'm I'm happy to stick with the predictions we made last week about either a Wimbledon final or an Olympics final. Novak Djokovic uh, placement in the draw as the caveat. Six sets in to you both... Is he what you expected him to look like being? Tennis-wise, slightly better. Like, if I if I compare the actual tennis he played to what he looked like in those first two rounds of the Australian Open in 2017, I thought it was cleaner and better. Physically, I thought he would probably have more than a couple of matches in the tank. That's perhaps me just misunderstanding what he said last week about how he was feeling. Um, I think I sort of took not 100% to be, well, almost 100%. But actually, perhaps perhaps he is further behind than I thought he was. And he just got to the point where he needed to play matches. I'm certainly not alarmed by by how he looked. I just had to make that little mm. adjustment in my mind, I think. I probably generally tend more on the side of, well, he's just superhuman. So whatever logic I might consider applying to the situation, I'm just going to disregard and leave at the door. I probably need to apply more human rules to him. Um, And in light of that, no, no, I'm not. I mean, I expected it to look, the tennis to look basically pretty good with a fair bit of shanking here and there because that's usually the way his sort of out of tuneness manifests. Um, there were a couple of moments today against Basilashvili where I was just a bit alarmed at how out of it he looked physically, just stopping moving on points, just not just not going for balls at all. Um, I believe what he said after the match. I don't think it was an injury. I think it was just. Um, recovery from the previous day, just being out of it. But there were just a couple of moments of alarm in the match. But big picture, um, I think it's I think it's about what I expected, if not a bit better. But I'm very eager to see what might unfold in Dubai. Um, but all in all, Blumenek, it's good to have him back, isn't it? It did feel good. Did that match against Dan Evans yesterday, and and Dan Evans contributed a lot to that as much as he's 
gutted not to have come out on top. It was an uplifting experience to watch that. And not because it was perfect tennis throughout. It wasn't from either of them. It really wasn't. But it was it was lovely to watch and an occasion. It, was, it, was, it felt like an occasion, which was so great. It was Roger Federer. And I think any time you can have him and all the other big four and Serena Williams and all these people who are well into their 30s still going and still able to do it for as long as possible is a good day, really. Mm. Yeah, I, I actually literally took a moment and said to myself, I'm watching Federer play a tennis match in 2021 this was this was possibly not going to happen at one stage and I, I really tried to tell myself to take that in and and kind of appreciate it and it was it was a reminder that he does things on a tennis court that no one else does there were there were little flashes little moments and the general experience of watching him play is different to watching other players as you said I think occasion is a good word there's still an aura about him and I, I'm still drawn to his matches. Um, so from that point, yeah, it was it was absolutely uplifting. Mm. Yeah, lots to digest. I should point out, by the way, there are there are some with, that say that Nikolaus Basilashvili shouldn't be playing tennis just at the moment. The situation surrounding him is that he was arrested in May of last year on suspicion of assaulting his ex-wife Neka Dorakashvili. Um, he's been charged with that offence and he's awaiting trial. Um, his ex-wife and son have restraining orders out against him. If he's found guilty, he faces up to three years in jail. Now, his manager has issued a statement stating that he denies the allegations. The last update we had about that, and we have tried to seek further news from the AT, an update from the ATP um, and haven't been able to clarify the situation the last update we had was that trial was due to take place in... It had been postponed a number of times and it was due to take place in December. Um, and we haven't heard anything since then. So we will try and clarify the situation, but that's what we know at this stage. Um, anything else we've seen from Doha, the Qatar Exxon Mobil Open? I'm currently watching Dominic Team 3-5 down in the third against Roberto Bautista. I have to say, I tuned into this at the end of the the first set, albeit a long first set one by Bautista on the tiebreak 7-6. Dominic Team looks completely shot. He looks knackered. What what was wrong with him at the Australian Open? Do we know that yet? Foot. Because he went, yeah. Something wrong with foot, his foot. Foot injury. But I'm not sure we've ever had the specifics. Mm, he was quite keen to play it down, wasn't he, when he lost... Mm to Dimitrov at the Australian Open, but I believe he did say in his um, German-language media that it was a foot problem. And I watched him a little bit against Karatsev the other day, and that he was he was still, I felt, looking at his foot and feeling his foot mm. a little bit, as though it's not quite right. Um, but we'll see. Apologies for the... Uh, slight rustling, so, oh, more than slight rustling sound in the background of the podcast. That is Billie Jean attacking some cardboard. Um, she's been at daycare today and she's come back very pleased with herself. She had her first ever groom and she's come back with a centre parting. <laughs> I've got a backstreet boy puppy. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a look. Um, elsewhere in Doha... 
Uh, I watched a little bit of Taylor Fritz getting revenge on Denis Shapovalov uh, earlier on today um, in the US Open at the end of last year or towards the end of last year. Taylor Fritz, he served for the match against, against Denis Shapovalov, got broken and lost that match in five sets. And today in Doha, he was serving for the match versus Denis Shapovalov. He had two match points. He lost both of them, got broken, and kind of against all odds, certainly against what I thought was going to happen, he broke back immediately. He was a man on the mission at that point. He said, no, that is not happening to me again. And I, you know, I have questioned kind of the nerve, maybe the real guts and commitment of, of Taylor Fritz um, over the past couple of years, perhaps. He said, no, not today. Uh, broke immediately back and served it out. Um, to win 7-5 in the third. Uh, Stephen Malloy on Twitter uh, has summed this up absolutely perfectly. He said, that match featured all the range of emotions I have when watching Shapovalov, including, this guy is amazing. Grand Slam titles are a coming. Why can't he put the ball in court? Brackets sobbing. He's a fighter, this kid. Gritty. All aboard the night train. Hoot hoot. <laughs> and then just sigh. And that is, I mean, he's really described, I feel so seen. That is, that's the experience, isn't it? Do you, do you think in years to come, there will be more that you get from Denis Shapovalov than that? I think he'll do that on some slightly bigger stages than we've seen already. I think we might see him do that in Grand Slam semifinals. I'm not Ooh. sure we'll see more. I hope I, I hope so. Matt? David's giving me a look. So I need to give my prediction. Yeah. Um Yeah, I I agree. These these Shapovalov matches are becoming a pattern. It, it, it's the same thing. You have the highs, but his his negative emotions are so close to the surface. It doesn't take much to really set him off. There was a moment today where he had a huge rant about the Fox 10, isn't it? The Fox mm. 10 line technology they're, they're using in Doha, where, first of all, he he was hard done by with a call on one of his break points. The line judge got it wrong and they had to replay the point. He was really annoyed about that. He gave a sort of sarcastic clap to the line mm. judge, which I didn't really like. And then the technology wasn't working. And he said, how are we supposed to play tennis when the line judges are calling it wrong and the technology's not working? Look, I understand it's a frustrating situation, but I think he's got to be able to deal with that a lot better. Mm. This was right at the crux of the match. And yes, Fritz did well to break him back after losing his serve, but he was also helped by Shapovalov. Shapovalov double faulted on the first point of that game just after he'd got the break back. It's those little moments in matches which can make a big difference i think uh that there is still this immaturity about him which he hasn't shaken off and he's been on the tour for years now he's he's, he's so explosive he's so good to watch but he, he he sort of holds himself back in a way i think that was all lovely it wasn't a prediction matt i agree with you i i at this stage i would not be predicting grand slam titles for shapovalov david is he frozen or thinking? Who's thinking? 
Neither would I. Uh, neither would I. I think he will. I agree with you. I think semi-final is a good shout, actually. I think he will get that far. And what will he do when he's on that stage? That's a big question. There's, there's, there's a clear lack of consistency still. Within a match, we sometimes get it in a run of matches, you know, where he'll string a few sort of efficient wins together. Um, but when it's a really big match, you'll, you, you've got too many fluctuations going on. Uh, at the moment by the way fritz i i think he he he, he might might he be a better prospect mm. ultimately than shapovalov yeah i do you know we do we talk a lot about shapovalov you know not not that much gets said about fritz really. yeah he i don't i don't quite know what to make of taylor fritz because i felt like i knew what to make of him at the very very start you know he was one of that he was an original next gen wasn't he? And he was one of the most exciting of them, particularly because he was American. He was supposed to be the next great American hope. Yes, Francis Tiafo was there as well. But I think I think he was considered a, a better prospect than, than Tiafo originally. He, he was a junior Grand Slam champion, Taylor Fritz. Um, and then I, I know he had, you know, significant distractions, understandably so in his personal life. He got married, he became a father, very young, you know, dealing with adjusting to life as a professional tennis player and life as a new father etc etc almost completely incompatible I would imagine all for very understandable reasons but I kind of erased him from my category of tennis players that we should be making predictions about whether they will become Grand Slam champions about you know we weren't even trying to make predictions about what Taylor Fritz would do were we we stopped we stopped doing that um and I feel like now maybe he should re-enter the realms of let's make some stupid, unfounded predictions about him. <laughs> um, okay, I think he's also going to... I think he's going to get... Has he got to a Grand Slam quarterfinal yet? I don't think no. he has. I think he'll do that in the next two years. Mm, that is not a big prediction, David. That's precisely the curve that he's on. Yeah, well, there you go. He'll, I've got it right then. Wow. Come to the tennis podcast for the big predictions like this man will probably reach a Grand Slam quarterfinal within the next two years. That is, that's not even going to make Daily Express online clickbait, David. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Matt, well. what, <laughs> give us some, Follow give us that. some headlines. <laughs> about Taylor being right Fritz. doesn't get it being right doesn't get it done anymore folks <laughs> what have you got what i've always liked about taylor fritz is his approach to clay i know i know it's a very mm. small thing but he's someone who has really tried to play well on that surface and not a lot of the american men do that and i think that little that little thing tells you quite a lot about fritz that he wants to get the most out of his game and sort of believe that he can transfer what he's got, which is a big serve, a big forehand, solid all round, really, to all surfaces. And he's got Paul Anacone in his corner as well, who I think is, you know, a, a great source of knowledge for him to draw upon. So I've, I've arrived at, at the prediction part of my answer, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um Look, I don't think he's going to win a Grand Slam in his career. So from that standpoint, I could I could imagine he'll have similar results at slams to Shapovalov. 
but up until now I would have put Shapovalov quite quite far ahead of him whereas now now I don't I think both of them can reach second weeks quarterfinals possibly even a semi-final yeah they'll both make a semi and neither one of them will make a final yeah that's that's probably pretty much where I'm at these are sexy sexy predictions (laughs) folks yeah Um, have you got one no no (laughs) go on Matt (laughs) no Moving on to Dubai, uh, where the uh, ooh, WTA... Ooh, ooh. Sorry, can I just say, some, someone we haven't seen in, in Doha is Rublev, oh, yes. who yeah. <laughs> incredibly is into the semifinals of the singles without playing a match. He is into the semifinals with a bye, a walkover against Richard Gasquet and a walkover against Martin Fuchovic. Which is, oh, it's the my, most time I feel have all year. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> First time it's happened that's... on the ATP Tour since they sort of began making oh, records wow. in 1990. I mean, I could do that. Yeah. yeah. Give me we a could, We could all be in the Qatar, Qatar ExxonMobil Open semifinals had we received yeah. a wild card. Well, we'd need a bye. Would, would, would one right, of the three okay. of us win? <laughs> had we received a wild card and an unexpected seeded <laughs> position. Who, should, who would you like our fourth player to be? And which half of the draw? <laughs> what do you mean? I mean, which one of the which of the two of us would face off against each other, and who would have to play the proper player? I don't know what you're talking oh. about. If we all got into the semi-finals of the Qatar Exxon Mobile, oh Open. right, <laughs> it's happened to all of us, has it? Simultaneously, okay. <laughs> you said we could all Simon do it. Simon Briggs. Simon <laughs> Briggs is there as well. Simon <laughs> Briggs has made up the quartet, the semi-final lineup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, moving on. Moving on to Dubai, um, where the WTA 1000 event is happening. Uh, Muguruza, the Andre Rublev of women's tennis, just sort of all, always there. I mean, I suppose actually not the Andre Rublev because Andre Rublev just isn't is on the draw sheet without playing tennis. But Muguruza, just every day, I feel like Gambini Muguruza is playing tennis. And I know that's because she keeps winning and going deep, but she she's playing every day and she looks hungry and focused and dialed in for every minute of every match. And it's great. Yeah, mm. yeah, it is. I think that really sums it up. Hunger, um, appetite. And she's, I think, Matt, you pointed out, she just keeps on losing to the champion all the time. Um, and yet she still comes back the next week for more. And she's beaten now in successive days Iga Sviantek and now Irina Sabalenka from a she thrashed Sviantek, who was a bit out of sorts. But she just steamrolled her really in the first set and then it's like, Can you fight back in the second? It was a decent fight in the second set, but then today I thought today was all quite possibly the most impressive performance of the year from Mugarutha because Sabalenka came out with a point to prove. she. I remember speaking to her in the press conference last week when she was talking about how she'd love another crack at Serena Williams after coming close at the Australian Open. And and, and she was the same today. You could tell, right, Muguruza beat me last week. I am coming for her. And she was swinging for the hills and she won the first set comfortably. And yet still, Muguruza had the, the composure, the poise and the relentlessness to just reel her in. And she focused on the Sabalenka forehand. She was just pinpointing that part of her game and broke it down. Um, and it was a cracking win. 
again. Mm. It was like a match between two weather systems, to use the phrase coined by Mary Carrillo. Just so much intensity and power from both players confronting each other. And Muguruza then had that little tactical element, as you said, David, that, that got her on top in in the match. And yeah, just you watch Muguruza, you see her name in the draw, and you expect her to show up now, week in, week out. And that has not always been the case in her career. There have been quite long periods where you've no idea where she's going to show up. There have been periods where you would only think she would perform well at the slams. But now it's this sustained, consistent, dominant tennis. And the only, as I said, the only players that are beating her pretty much are the ones going on to win the title. It feels like a matter of time before she herself lifts the title. This is probably her best chance yet when you consider who's left in the tournament and how well she's playing. It's, uh, it's really amazing. And it's also quite amusing the way Conchita Martinez is following the matches this week. She unfortunately tested positive for COVID. Thankfully, she seems to be okay and recovered, but she is in Spain isolating. And in in every match, they have put an iPhone and FaceTimed her and turned it round. And she has watched all the matches live through FaceTime on a phone that's in the stands in the crowd. But hilariously, the WTA graphics, <laughs> when the... When the iPhone comes into shot, the, the, the WTA graphics just say, Conchita Martinez. Because <laughs> <laughs> she has morphed into an iPhone, mm. and, which and, is fabulous. And there was a moment today where they were zooming in on the iPhone and suddenly some messages popped up on the phone and quickly the camera panned away. <laughs> oh, we've all been there. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, she she... She really should win this title now. I, I don't mean to be dismissive. She plays Elise Mertens next, doesn't she? And that is, that's no, that's no easy matter at all. No, I mean she did. She did the but, thing that nobody else has managed to do, and that's beat Jessica Pagula. I think she true. saved three match points in order to do it. And Pagula had just been thrashing everyone. She beat mm. Pliskova, and I can't remember who she won in the beat in the first round, but it was somebody who's good. Kicking Adenovic. Um, yeah, um, but so you know, she's the only Grand Slam champion left in. She is also the form. She's got the experience, the pedigree, the form. It's all there for her to win this title. And as we keep saying, the only thing she's not doing is winning the titles. Um, and if she if she doesn't win this one, maybe that monkey on the back will just start to grow a bit because she's she's playing the tennis to win win this title and and more. I think and sort of hope she does because I just. I'm so pleased that she's she's back to being the player that she ought to be. You know, I really vividly remember. I say vividly. I can't actually remember who the opponent was or who the year was. But the 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 image of her losing in her opening match in Madrid, her home tournament. I've got a feeling it was Donna Vekic, um, but that is completely unconfirmed. Um, she lost in her opening match in Madrid, and I think it was. I'm going to guess it was 2017 because I, I think it was kind of the, the the season following on, either 2016 or 17, the season following on from her being a Grand Slam champion. And um, she was booed off court. She was booed off. She not only lost 
in in pretty depressing circumstances. It was a really patchy performance at best. You know, there were periods of the match where she just forgot how to play. She couldn't find the court and looked so dejected. She was booed off court by her home supporters. And I, I so remember that and just how... <sighs> Kind of, you know, how clearly affected she was by it, but how much she was trying to look like she wasn't affected by it. And to just see her inhabiting her own body and looking so comfortable in it and comfortable in who she is as a as a tennis player and everything, I I think it's great. I think it's really good news. So um, so well done her. And, and Muguruza against Mertens, a match that probably be over by the time most of you are listening to this, probably be really, really good. Yeah. Um, that um, that Pagula Mertens match was fascinating today. It, it it started as this perfect indication of how much Pagula has improved in such a short space of time, because she played Mertens last summer and got wiped off the court, and she's a totally different prospect now. Um, she had a slow start in the match, but then she really took over, and she gave some interesting quotes about how aware she is. Pagula of wanting to back up that Australian Open run and how how difficult it's been because she's gone from playing on the Rod Laver arena to last week she was in Doha qualifying again because that run in Australia improved her ranking but not enough obviously the sort of deadline to enter Doha was was probably prior to the Australian Open um, so she's been really pleased with herself in terms of being able to stay focused and keep playing well in very different circumstances. And then she had those three match points against Mertens today. And on one of them, Mertens hit a second serve. And as she hit the serve, the electronic board around the side of the court flashed up saying match point. And they had to play a let and replay the point. And it gave Mertens a first serve again. And I don't think Pagula won another game after that point. It really flipped the match totally. I think, you know, she she would probably say she should have handled it better. Um, and combined with Mertens' general doggedness and stubbornness and refusal to lose, it, it got away from Pagula. But it was, a, it was a fascinating match. But I suspect Mertens could be quite tired. It was almost three hours. And I wouldn't want to have to go from that to running into the force that is Muguruza at the moment. <laughs> Um, I, I feel like I need to apologise once more for puppy-related sound effects that may or may not be intruding upon your podcast listening experience. Uh, she's she's now sort of um, tearing apart a uh, a toy that was previously fondly known as Mister Fox, but now be known <laughs> might be known as Mister sort of pile of fluff. Um, <laughs> By the, by the way, uh, Tamea Baczynski, six one six three in twenty seventeen was the player oh, that beat Muguruza. Thank you. In the first round of Madrid, but she did play Vekic the, the next year, right? Okay, and beat her. I confused two memories. Yeah, there we are. Thank you, David. Um, uh, just very quickly, David, you said uh, in that match that Muguruza played against Sviontek that Sviontek was out of sorts. Anything to worry about there or just sort of bad day at the office? No, I, I just think she got off to a slow start and was steamrolled, really. And by the time she got it together, it was a, it was a bit too late. And that's the thing with best of three sets. You've got to be on it from the, from the start. And she just wasn't. Um, no, I, I don't think there's anything to worry about. Okay, good, because... We've all made some pretty big predictions about Shantek. 
<laughs> They've got a lot of skin in the game. Um, and she did, she did a fantastic interview with uh, Reem Abdelil this week. I don't know if you if you've um, had the chance to read it or not in uh, in a publication called The National. Um, yep. And just a really insightful. I mean, look, we, we knew she was an interesting, thinking human being. That's not news, but. The perspective she gives on various things, on on herself, the self awareness of someone that young is is really fascinating. She says her main ambition is to not experience a black hole after she retires, is to have a life and things to fall back on, and to to yeah, post retirement, which is kind of an extraordinary thing for a teenager to say. Um, Especially a teenage tennis player because they are so yeah. tunnel visioned, aren't they? And this they end up becoming quite limited, a lot of tennis players, because they have to concentrate so much on the sport and the training and the preparation and all the rest of it to the expense of everything else in life. She is a breath of fresh air. Mm. Um, and and I also find to, I find that kind of chat quite just healthy, generally. Absolutely. Yeah, she's she's a, a fascinating person and... and um goodness me that cr- it it really is i know i keep saying avengers assemble but it re- they're all so different that crop of of wta players you know you could they're like the spice girls aren't you aren't they you could brand them as you know philosophical spice and <laughs> check me out spice and i'm driving myself a cold down a cul-de-sac that i hadn't planned for spice let's move on spice <laughs> Uh, you see where I'm going with this. Um, one, yeah. fi- <laughs> one final thing. Those two were good. <laughs> Thank you. Um, those were off the cuff, David. Um, I know, I liked thanks. them. Thanks. What would Asaka be? Um, oh, no. Uh, let, let, that needs a bit of okay. thought. Come on. She's she's too good okay, what to would be Sophia just Kenin flipping one be? off the cuff. Stompy, Stompy Spice. spice. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. Um, last point before we wrap this uh, <laughs> wrap this up. Um, it has been reported uh, in Reuters uh, that a T7 working group, which involves the ATP, WTA and the four Grand Slams and the International Tennis Federation, the ITF, We'll start work later this month examining examining areas such as a unified calendar, shared commercial offerings, sponsorship and TV deals. Um, and this comes also at a time Roger Federer was asked um, the other day about the tweet that he'd put out during uh, the early days of lockdown saying, hey, wouldn't a... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love the tone of wouldn't, voice. A, wouldn't a merger <laughs> wouldn't a merger between the ATP and the WTA be a good idea he was asked by Ben Rothenberg whether he stands by that where it came from whether anything came of it and he said conversations came of it he said he spoke to Andrea Gaudenzi also spoke to Steve Simon and that there was a willingness there but that neither party was quite ready um, to take the necessary steps towards a full merger. He said that some departments were working more closely together. I think he particularly referenced the marketing department and he reiterated his belief that it would be a great thing. Um, and look, we know 
we know the wheels of change turn very slowly and this might seem kind of frustratingly bureaucratic for something that seems so obviously a good idea but at least it is turning it is a it yeah. is a it is a turn on the wheel yeah at least they're getting together and talking about it and trying to see where it can take them if that if that's what they're doing so yeah good good for andrea gaudenzi and friends you know mm. let's hope they get somewhere with it yeah um so i think that is that is it uh better wrap this thing up before i drive us down any further cul-de-sacs um thank you for staying with us long enough to hear me now talk about darwin our mascot for the week i'm not sure famous last words i'm not sure there'll be a better named mascot all year than darwin i really Ooh, am big, word, I'm a, big I'm words a big in march fan Catherine. Of that name. well unless any other name. billy jeans pop up we had a crumble Catherine. i love all of them david and i love their names <laughs> i'm just saying darwin is particularly great yeah. Um as is Zeus, king king of all things. Hello Zeus. Mm. David. Rogue's pretty awesome, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> I always make you go last, Matt. Sorry about that. It's the big build up, you know. What for Scousel Mousel? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go on, Scousel Mousel. <laughs> um Billy Jean King uh, is the sponsor of Billy Jean. Um, who has just emerged furtively from the bathroom, which is a worrying situation I will be checking out imminently. Um, Chris Albert Lee is our executive producer. He's a top bloke. And our shout-outs are for... Hazel Kelly. All right, Hazel. Oh, hello, Hazel. Like Lorraine, Thanks a lot, Hazel. Like Lorraine Kelly, but with a better first name. <laughs> oh, God, the next one's going to be Lorraine, isn't it? <laughs> Imagine all of our apologies to all the rains out there. I like, oh, I like, uh, I just like the name Hazel. Karen, Matt. The next one is Bob, Bob Stocking. Oh, hello, hey, Bob. That's 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 really great. Is that is that a real name? I mean, that's a great name, isn't it? it sounds sounds like the sort of thing you make up when you when you just become an actor. Dist- I'm going to be. I'm going to be Bob Stocking. Distant relative right? of Pippi Long. <laughs> Carry on, Matt. Thanks for your support, Bob. Matt didn't even get that reference, David. No, I don't David. get that. Let's move I mean, on. Come on. Let's move on. We can, we can send him some reading <laughs> later. Right. Can you explain it now? No. No. Is it, is it, is it too no, long? No, it's too okay. depressing. It's okay. too depressing. <laughs> Final one is Forest House. Forest? Yes. Like Forest Whitaker. And house oh. like house the TV program. <laughs> <laughs> Might be house. Forest isn't that's an amazing name. Wow. I'm a, I wonder what his name I've, who he's named after. I have a re- I have a really good friend that wanted to call her son Forest, but th- but thought it would put too much pressure on him to be sort of grandiose. <laughs> what did they go with? Uh, I, I don't want to disclose because <laughs> then they'll disclose who it is. <laughs> Thanks for your support, okay, Forrest. Thank you after. for your support, Forrest. Big, big fan of that. And apologies to all the Rains who have backed us. Um, I just happen to quite like the name Hazel. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. Tell your friends. Um, leave us an iTunes review. Um, subscribe to our newsletter. It's great. And we'll see you again on Monday. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.